It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine, salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine, hanging pictures on my wall every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Mar Magic Marley Mar. I let my tape rock till my tape pop, smoking weed and bamboo sitting on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Talk about juicy. Loving it. Thought I'd rip a little ep for you guys tonight. This is Zach Hergert, Idea Addict. It's the show that's all about ideas, and I'm addicted to them. Business ideas. So, um, just got back from central Missouri. Really loved it. Had a great time. Forgot how much I liked being out in the woods. You know, out in nature, out of the city. You got the inherent freedom out there of being away from other people. You can smoke out there. You can chew. You can drink and drive. Shoot the guns off your deck. It doesn't matter. No one gives a fuck. And if you have to take a leak, you just whip it out and go. The world is literally your toilet when you're out in the country. It's just, it's fantastic, you know. Um, so I just really loved it. You know, it, re it really got me thinking. And um, I have lots of thoughts about that, about escaping the city and moving to the country. But I think we're going to we're dig into that a little bit. We're going to dig into that deeper a little bit later in the episode. So I just wanted to get to that. I'm really excited about it. So what else happened this week? I think I have another flip sold, which is absolutely fantastic. It's really ridiculous, though, because I bought this flip two weeks ago, and I'm about to get it sold. And I have another flip that I've been trying to sell. Well, it's been sold for three months. It just hasn't closed because of all this fucking bullshit with the... Uh, COVID-19, but I'm not going to get into that again. So this, this, what it is, is it's like, we bought this townhouse. It's like a couple blocks away from our house. It's 55 and older, but we got like a rocking deal on it. And I was like pretty scared because I was like, I don't know, like a 55 and older townhouse that like shrinks your pool of buyers, you know? So in real estate, you never want to like you want to have the biggest pool of buyers as you possibly can. So, you know, like when you watch TV and, and you see like a show like Million Dollar Listing or like Flip or Flop or something and or something like that, a flipping show, and they're doing like this really high-end expensive house, like that's bullshit. You can't make any money doing that because it takes forever to find a fucking buyer. So I was a little worried about this townhouse because I was like 55 and older. You can't have, I don't think you can have a dog. I don't think you, I don't think you can like, I don't even know if you can really have animals there. The house has a flat roof, which is always kind of scary, and it has like a southwestern motif. I live in Omaha, Nebraska. That's not the southwest. That's like the upper Midwest. So it's like you kind of either like it or you don't like it. But we got a good deal on it. I think it's great. The main level is like 1,900 square feet. It's huge. The master bedroom is gigantic. The walk-in closet is literally like 12 by 10, and the bathroom in there is 12 by 10 with a huge walk-in shower. So what happened is this lady, um, it's like, like I said, it's his townhomes and it's like eight of them in a row. And that's like the whole little like neighborhood is just eight townhouses in a row. And this lady is just like dead set on buying one. So she missed out. She lost out on another one that was for sale and then heard that like I, I was flipping one so that she just, her agent like approached me, us directly and she wants all this stuff done to it, real specific stuff that we're not willing to do. But then she's like, well, I'll just buy it from you as is. And all the demo's done. So the place is basically, it's not gutted, anything crazy like that. But all the bathrooms are like ripped out. The kitchen's ripped out. 
And she's just like, well, yeah, like she wants to like take it as is and just finish it to her own specifications. And I was like, uh, yeah, that sounds amazing. I would love that. So that's really exciting. Haven't had that happen yet. Haven't had somebody like seek me out to buy the house I'm working on. So that's really exciting. And we've been going on a lot of uh, bids for our remodeling business. And we haven't really had the remodeling business very long. We've only really like been doing the remodeling thing for like a couple months now. And it's just like blowing up. We get requests to come out and like give people bids like uh, at least five a week with like almost no advertising. So it's going really well. But I was like, I just like bought a new truck probably. Well, I bought it in September. And it's like the most reasonable truck that I think I've ever bought. So ever since I was a kid, like I've always driven trucks. I, I've driven like, I bought two cars in my life. And one of them I bought after I totaled the truck and drinking and driving. And then the other one I bought because I was like, I'm done having a truck. I don't want to, I just like want a car. So no one asked me to do anything. Well, that lasted like, I think three weeks until I traded it in for a truck. But I've always like had heavy duty trucks, like diesels, you know, usually like trucks that are lifted or whatever. And um, we just had a son and the truck I had before was a lifted uh, Chevy 2500. And it was like, it wasn't super tall. It wasn't like silly or anything. It had like, I think like a two inch lift on it with like slightly oversized tires, but nothing crazy, but it wasn't an extended, it was an extended cab. It wasn't like a quad or it wasn't like, didn't have real back seats. Um, so like you couldn't put like a baby seat back there. So I was like, well, I need, like, I have to be able to like have put a baby seat in my truck. So, and that, that Chevy got like, it was a gas and it got really like horrific gas mileage, like maybe like nine or 10 miles per gallon. And it had like pretty bad hail damage. So, um, so I was like, well, I'll get a truck. And then my, like me and my wife talked about it and I wanted like something like, I wanted something ridiculous again. I either wanted, um, like a, I either wanted like a three quarter ton or one ton, like diesel. Um, but then she like kind of talked me out of it. Cause she was like, well, you're not like towing a trailer anymore. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Maybe I could like, just be like a normal, reasonable person and get like a half ton truck. But then I was like, I'm only getting, um, a half ton truck. That's like, if it's a half ton truck, it still has to be ridiculous. So I need like a, um, Chevy, like a Denali with like the big like turbocharged or supercharged motor or something like it had to be ridiculous. So we finally like settled on, I got like a 2013 Dodge 1500, um, but like fully decked out. It's like, I think it's, it's not a limited, it's the one like right under that trim level. So it has like everything you could possibly want. But now it's like, we're doing this remodeling thing. Like I need a trailer to put all my like tools in. So like, or like, uh, like, uh, to have my tools in to like, go get material in stuff like that. So it's like, I'm going to be towing a trailer again. And it's like, I just need like a 2,500. I just, I just, I'm a big guy. I'm tall and I'm like big and fat. So I need like a big, like full size adult truck. And I really want a diesel again. Cause I'm sick of this gas motor. Second so driving gas gas trucks. It's just I don't know. It just doesn't work. So I'm gonna try to talk my wife into like maybe taking this truck and saying like, honey, it's just like an SUV. It has a cover on the back. You can put your groceries back there. So 
it was kind of good because we drove it down to Missouri. So then like she really got a feel for like how nice it was. So I think that's going to like help the process of me like kind of convincing her to take my truck, get rid of her car, and then I can go get another like a real truck. Anyway, that's kind of a rant, but that's just some things on my mind. Um, so I'm going to kind of like start off, do things a little differently. I'm going to start off with the idea. And then I'm going to go into some other thoughts that I have. So uh, the idea is, I thought about this for like a long time. Because, so like I said, we have this like remodeling business and sometimes you get called out and someone's like, can you look at this? Can you look at this? Can you look at this? Like, I need new siding. I need new windows. And it's like, well, I don't like do all that shit. I just do like bathrooms and like kitchen remodels right now. And that's all I like want to focus on. But sometimes even if people call you out for a kitchen or bathroom, it's like weird, not weird, but it's like you get into something that you're not really sure because they're like, well... Um, you just get into some like weird things. So I, I w- I'm thinking about like, just like advertising for some sp- very specific things. And this is something that I thought of. And I thought of it before. And what it is, it's installing or building people uh, safe rooms or panic rooms in their house. So I've never seen the movie Panic Room. So I can't really use it as a, um, I can't really use that as a, reference point because I don't really know anything about it but so basically there's two different kind of target markets with a panic or a safe room um I'm just going to call it a safe room from now on a panic room sounds too much like I'm talking about the movie so um there's two different spins you can do as far as like a target market to go after with the safe room and the first is um a room that somebody could go in to like ride out a natural disaster so like a, a tornado hurricane something like that and so uh, in Nebraska, most houses, not all of them, but most houses have a basement in them. So you can, uh, if there's a tornado or something, you just go into your basement and you should be fine. But in other areas of the country, like I think Oklahoma, I know like the Dakota, like I used to live in South Dakota and where I was out of there, like you couldn't, you couldn't build a basement. It would be, the bedrock was like too shallow and you'd have to like basically dynamite it out if you want to do it. So it didn't make any sense. So nobody had basements. So so you actually need like a safe room um, to go into to be able to write out a tornado or something like that. Um, and then the second reason or the second target you could go after is people uh, is people who want a safe room um, to write out or get away from human threats. So like terror attacks, nuclear attacks, civil unrest, or just like intruders coming into your house. Now, a lot of people in that target market that are worried about like terror attacks, nuclear threats, or like an an intruder, those are going to be like your more, I would say, not always, but that's going to be like your more like high-end buyer, I guess, with like more money to spend. Um, Especially people who are like scared of intruders because, you know, like a lot of people with money or like high-profile people, they want some somewhere in their house where somebody like broke in, they don't want, you know, they have the means to do it. And they also have like the justified fear that someone is going to like come after them or somebody in their family. So those are kind of your two like main target markets. And I think that either one of those target markets is good to go after. Um, obviously like, uh, like I said before, if like somebody has a basement, if you live in an area where there's lots of basements, 
basically like if a tornado comes, you can come in your basement and you're going to be like pretty safe unless it's like a e EF five or whatever, like the strongest one. Um, but I still think that that's like, still think it's good. So along with the two different markets, there's also kind of like two different twists that I would look at or two different ways of like achieving, providing somebody with a safe room. Hold on a minute. So the first one is going to require some like construction experience. And that was going to be like more like your, I would say like high end or more like wild as far as like money goes. That's going to be more of like your, your uh, wild safe room. So that could be something like a hidden room. Um, I had an actual room that has like an area where you could like live long term um, for like a multiple days or weeks. And that's going to be something that might you might have cameras in your house. This room would have, you know, bulletproof doors, bulletproof and, and possibly explosion proof like walls. So you could do like uh, block walls with like metal in between or metal coated block walls. Or I've seen like Kevlon, uh, Kevlar walls so like no bullets can penetrate it. That's going to be like more expensive and that would be something that would be like permanently built in. So the homeowner obviously would have to pull like permits for that. Um, if you're building a new house, it would have to be in the blueprints. Um, you could call it something else in the blueprints, but it would be obvious what it is. Something like that too would also have its like own, usually like air circulation system. So like if somebody was trying to, if there was civil unrest and somebody or a group of people came in your house and like start, started it on fire, your room would have its own air source and it would be fireproof and you'd be able to survive. It would also probably have like its own like toilet, its own water source. So that would be like option A is going to be like the most high end thing. So like you would need construction experience to do that, but you could also make a lot of money building things like that because that's like highly specialized. Not just any contractor off the street would like know how to do that or have experience doing that. And not a lot of people are in the construction trade or uh, are going to like really go after that because that's like a really like niche area to do. And then also you'd have to be able to get your hands on those materials, but you could charge a lot for that. So a safe room like that is going to be starting I would say really starting at like $30,000 and then going up quickly, especially if you have like your own dedicated phone line, dedicated power. So a room like that would be able to like, if the whole, your whole house or like the whole building was like demolished, that how that part of your house would like be like basically untouched. So that would be close to almost like a personal or like a family like bunker, you know, in a lot of ways. Something like that would probably be building a basement or a ground floor with construction or uh, concrete walls, concrete ceiling, everything like that. So that's going to be like your wild option. Now, for 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 most people can't afford to spend like thirty to fifty thousand dollars on one room of their house, obviously. So you're going to have like a pretty small market um, with like a bunker or like a high end like uh, safe room like that. But there are. Uh, this is option two. There are uh, prefabricated walk-in safes. So the upside to that is it's a lot cheaper. So you could get a prefabricated walk-in safe starting, I think, at like four or $5,000. And when I'm talking about like a prefabricated walk-in safe, I'm not talking about like a gun safe like I have in the picture, but it's actually like a little 
it's like a little like three by five like room that the walls of it bolt together and they bolt to like the floor. The, the floor has to be concrete. There's spe spe specific depths and strengths of concrete that it would have to be bolted to. And then it has a class one locking door. So a class one locking door is just like the, how strong the like, how strong the lock is. So basically like a class one door, like you couldn't pick the lock. You could you could drill the lock out, but it would take a lot of effort. You'd have to have specialized drill bits and everything like that. So these um, prefabricated walk-in safes can go from like holding like one person to holding, I think like, I think you can put like up to 12 people into like the more expensive ones. And the, like the most expensive one that I saw, um, it's like a company from Joplin, Missouri. And I think that uh, it can fit like 12 or 14 people and it's about like 15 or $16,000. So if I had a company that, so if my um, uh, remodeling company, if I started like advertising for these, like that's probably where I would start because I would just like ask the people like how many people needed to go in there, what their budget was. And then that's kind of like where I, where I would start um, because that's going to give me like the biggest market. And if someone's like, no, I want something more sophisticated or, or safer than that, then I could kind of jump to like the more like wild option. But if you don't have any background experience or construction experience, um, these walk-in safes are actually like a lot better um, if you don't have any experience because they basically just bolt together and bolt to the floor. So it doesn't take like a ton of construction knowledge to be able to do that. And I think because it's not, it's not really like a built into the house. It's like a, it's like a temporary thing. So you wouldn't have to like pull a permit for that because it's basically like, it's basically like think of it as just like a giant gun safe that you can like walk in into. Um, the downsides of that is it's basically just has the safe basically just has vent vents. So like if your house was on fire or whatever, smoke would start filling this thing. Um, I suppose you could like find a way to get like a, a dedicated phone line and communications things like set up inside of that. Um, but it's, and, and the other thing too is like, you can't, couldn't really like hide that. I mean, I guess you could like put it in your basement and then like build a wall around it to hide it, but then you're going to have maybe some problems with like ventilation, but you can maybe figure that out. But that's where I would start at because if I have the company and like, let's say the smallest one can fit like uh, two people and it's $4,000, I could just up, up charge like a couple, couple thousand bucks. And that would at least like get you in the game. So I think that's really good. I think that's, you know, that's really been on people's mind, like the survival um, and like safety and things like that. That's really been like on people's mind, I would say for like the last like 10 years, um, off and on. But I think that that's like a really good thing. I think that there's definitely a market for that. I think you can make money at it. And, um, you know, if you started off with the walk-in safe stuff, um, you don't need a ton of experience. Um, if you already have a construction business or you're knowledgeable about construction that you could, you could do both the walk-in saves and then like the hidden, like actual bunker rooms. So that's my idea for this week. I think it's pretty good. I think I'm going to actually start maybe like sending out some stuff or advertising, like the ability to do that. Cause I think that for like, for me, like a contractor, you know, after a while, it's like, I've done like every like kitchen and bathroom thing. Um, there's only like so many options, but like building like a hidden room with communications equipment, that's like a fire and like bulletproof. I mean, that's kind of a cool challenge. So 
anyway, I thought that was interesting. So, you know, at the beginning of this episode, I was talking a little bit about um, we went earlier this week down to central Missouri to an undisclosed location, to an undisclosed house that uh, we own. And um, it was just like really nice. Like it was just like really, it's like really chill down there. The, like the pace of life is a lot slower. And there's like really like it's quiet. There's not like a ton of traffic, which I live in Omaha, Nebraska. And most people that think about Omaha, Nebraska, like you'd never think of like heavy traffic or traffic jams. And we have, we're starting to get like pretty heavy traffic. Nothing crazy, nothing like in Los Angeles, but traffic is like so fucking irritating and it's so stressful. And it's just, I just hate like the thought of having to like plan out my day, like based around traffic that just disgusts me to just, it's just, I, I hate it. So, and then the other thing is uh, a lot of people don't know this, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, like we have some of the highest property tax in the entire country. So if you have like a two hundred and like fifty thousand dollar house, your taxes are like five thousand dollars a year. I mean, that's like fucking ridiculous. And the other thing is you pay all those taxes. The streets here are absolutely horrific because in the summer it's 100 degrees and in the winter it's like 10 degrees and it snows all the time. And you get just unbelievable potholes. So it's like driving in Iraq. It's ridiculous. And now, you know, with like the COVID-19 and everything going on, it's like, well, even like me in Omaha, which is, I think we're up to like just a little, what are we like 780 or 800,000 people. It's like most people are like working remotely now. Why live in a big city? So this little town that we go to in Missouri, there's a bunch of little towns around it and some like bigger towns. And when I mean bigger towns, I mean towns of like 15,000 or like 20,000 people. So nothing huge. But all these towns like within like 10, 10 minutes of driving, you can get anything you want to. There's like new car dealerships. There's a Lowe's, a Home Depot, a Chipotle outlet stores with all, all the fashion you need. So it's like all the shit you need down there. You like don't need to live in a big city. And I'm starting to really like after this week, I'm like really convinced. It's like, even I don't need to live in a big city. Cause there's like, if I wanted to like do like flip houses down there, I could do that. You know, the margins wouldn't be as good. I could like do remodels. I'd be able to just like stay busy with that. But then it's like, I could, you know, I also have like little online businesses I could do. So it's like, I could just ramp up the online stuff more. And everyone is basically doing stuff online now for the most part. And it just, it's starting to like make less and less sense for me to live in like the city because now too, it's like, I have a child. So now, now I'm playing the game of like, well, I need to, right now I live in like an okay school, school district. Um, and I pay like, less tax than if I lived in a really good school district. But now we're already like playing the game of like, well, do we stay in like a house in like not as good of a school district and then send him to private school? Or do we move to like way out in the suburbs so we get in the quote better school system? It's like, it's like a dog chasing its tail because if you like sit down and do the math, it's like about the like same amount. And it's like, I don't really want to send my kid to private school because then they're going to be in there with a bunch of like private school kids that have like au pairs and servants. And then my kid is going to see how these spoiled kids order around their like servants that their parents pay. So that's bad. 
it's just all bad. So I'm thinking, and I'm thinking about my own childhood and it's like, wouldn't it be fun to like live in like a small town like that where you have like open spaces. This town is by like, um, um, a lake, a large lake area that's very popular. So you could like go work on the lake, you know, you'd have like fun in the summer. There'd be like different batches of girls to chase every summer. You wouldn't be bored. So, cause that's always what people think about like living in the country. It's like, well, I'm going to get bored, but, but not every small town is like that. And so I just kind of wanted to go over with you guys. And I know like some people are listening or probably li- listening in like California or like New York city or like very areas that are houses and, and living is like really expensive, but I just want to like talk to you guys about a couple places because I was doing some research this week and I ran across something in uh, reader's digest or readersdigest.com. I was doing some Googling about like, where are the cheapest places in America to live? Obviously central uh, Missouri is a very cheap state to live in. If you get out of the big cities, like very cheap, I was looking at houses that were, Oh, and by the way, you can get a fucking amazing house there for $300,000, which is not a lot of money. And when I say amazing house, I mean like an acreage, like three acre, a house on three or four acres. And the house, I think one of them I saw, the house was like 4,200 square feet. It was a two story with like a three car attached garage on like four acres. And the house was like three forty nine. $349,000 for all that. Oh, and by the way, the taxes were under $2,000 a year. That's a good deal. So I know people that live outside of New York City and like Westchester, they have smaller houses that I live in and they're like a million and a half dollars. So I did some Googling about cheapest places in the United States to live. And I I just want to like, just want to give you guys some stats on a couple of these. So the first one is Florence, Alabama. I've never been to Florence, Alabama, but... It has the lowest average apartment rental price in the country, according to apartment uh, according to apartment guides data. So the average um, apartment rent in Florence, Alabama, is four hundred and one dollars a month. That's crazy. It's located in the northwest corner of the state, and it is home to the Muscle Shoals uh, Sound Studio, where Aretha Franklin. Etta James and more recorded all their hits. So that's kind of fun. The next one is uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. Now, Arkansas is a beautiful state. Lots of great outdoor recreation that you can take part in. And it's also a very cheap place to live. So Fort Smith, Arkansas is the second largest city in Arkansas. Um, It has a medium home value of $109,000 according to Zillow. And average rents are below $500 a month. And the last one I want to talk about is Austintown, Ohio. I'm trying to like hit up some like different areas. So um, the first one is Alabama. So that's like the deep south. Arkansas is like the top of the south, kind of Midwesty. And then Ohio, I would call, I would call Ohio, I, I guess Austintown, Ohio is on the border of uh, Pennsylvania. So that's like sort of East Coast. Um Austin Town's on, on the northeast area, in the northeast area of Ohio. Average rent here is $543 uh, a month, and the medium home value is $91,700. So that means that you're basically, you're going to be saving money by buying a house um, instead of renting. 
So I think those are just some like things to think about because like Fort Smith, Arkansas is right on the Arkansas River. And I looked at some pictures of it. I like Arkansas. Arkansas is similar to Missouri, but a little bit more like rolling hills and stuff like that. And um, so I was looking at pictures of it online. It's like looks really nice. It looks like a pretty like very picturesque town. It's like if you could live there and you could buy, you know, just a, even a so like the median home value, there's one hundred and nine thousand dollars. If you bought a house here for $200,000, it'd be like probably like a castle, you know, and your your taxes are super low. It's still like a pretty big town. I think it's a uh, I haven't looked I haven't looked it up, but I would imagine it's if it's a second largest city in Arkansas, uh, Little Rock is the largest one. So I would say it's it's got to be at least like a 100,000 people there. So you're gonna have everything you need. I mean, you're gonna be like living like a king, you know, people always say like, I'm not making enough money. It's like, no, you're it's not that you're not making enough money. It's that you're spending too much money. I mean, I know people who like make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and they live in New York City and they're like basically dirt poor. So now that so many people are working online, um, you can like live in a place like that and not worry about it. But you're saying, okay, well, like, what if I don't work online? What if I like, what if I'm, huh, what if I... I'm an HVAC contractor. Well, that brings us to our deal of the episode for sale. So I know it's like, well, I have to live in a big city because I have to be able to make money. No one out in the country makes any money. Well, check this deal out. So this is a mechanical contracting business on the Gulf Coast. It's in Daphne, Alabama. Daphne, Alabama is a town of 25,000 people. It's across the bay from Mobile. Mobile, Alabama, across the Mobile Bay. So it's a small town, but it's still pretty close to a big town. So when I'm talking about moving to a small town, I'm not talking about moving to like the the Northwest Territory or like out in the woods in uh, Alaska, away from civilization. I'm just saying live, don't live in a huge metropolis, you know. So this is a mechanical contracting business or HVAC business. The asking price, this, don't let it scurry off. The asking price is uh, $2.75 million, so $2,750,000, but it cash flows $1.5 million off of a gross revenue of $8.7 million. And it's been going, uh, they started this business in 1985. If you're thinking, that sounds like a good deal. Yeah, it's because it is. So it started in 1985, this business is the premier HVAC contractor for the big jobs, for big jobs, and their average job is over $300,000. And they operate throughout the Gulf Coast region with customers that vary uh, vary from federal, state, local government ag- agencies um, and schools being their primary focus. Um, so they do all kinds of different HVAC HVAC stuff, so that's heating, cooling, and uh, ventilation, um, operate all over that area. And I'll just give you some additional stats here. They have 40 employees. They lease a 12,000 square foot building. I believe the lease is $3,500 a month, so that's actually not too bad. That's a big building for that. And the building sits on um, 2.7 acres. They have very, very few competition. Um, because of how big they are and their ability. 
The business also has an experienced general manager that uh, also doubles as a project foreman. And the purchase price also includes $500,000 worth of inventory. The company presently has $3.2 million of work in progress and is now bidding out over $10 million of work for 2020. That's very good. These are all, this is all sounding great. They, um, the other really, the other thing I like this about, about this a lot is the seller is willing to stay for up to two years with an employment contract. And I know you're saying, well, I'm already paying this guy like $2.7 million, but it's like, yeah, what if you could just keep him on for like 90 grand a year to help, to help ease the transition? Because the biggest thing when you buy a business, especially a business like this, this guy's been doing this since 1984. So that means he's been doing it for 30, oh God, 35 years. <laughs> that really makes me feel old. Um, been doing it for 34 years. And so a lot of these employees have probably been with him for a long time. And if it's a two-year slow transition from him being the owner to you being the owner, I mean, that's like, that's worth every penny that you're going to like pay this guy. And then you can see how he does things as the owner, how he treats the management, the things that he has in place. So you're going to basically be like learning everything um, that he has been doing to keep, to make this uh, business so successful. I mean, that's like amazing that, that this guy's willing to stay on for, for pay. Um, and he's just wanting to retire. So it's like, you could basically just keep him on as like a mentor and, you know, uh, slowly phase him out. So I think that's a really good, I mean, this is like a really good business and that's a, that's a lot of money. And the other thing is, um, how good of a lifestyle could you have if you were making $1.5 million a year in Daphne, Alabama? The other thing is if you're making $1.5 million a year, how long is it going to pay, take you to pay off $2.75 million? Not very long. You could pay yourself a hundred grand and have it paid off in two years. And then you'd be making uh, $1.5 million a year every year going forward, as long as you don't fuck anything up. So that's really good. So this business is list, listed by Lanyard Chu of the Sun Business Brokerage um, in Alabama. His phone number, he can be reached at 251-626-4949. And um, I thought that that, sounded, that that business sounds really, really good because, I mean, that's a big business, 40 employees. Uh, making 1.5 a year. Love it. So let's move right along to our three critiques, the three critiques of the day. Now, this is one that my wife had a little, had, has thought about doing. So my sister is having another child. And she, my sister, my sister's having another child and my wife is throwing her a sprinkle. I guess it's like a shower. It's like a baby shower, but it's lighter, right? Sprinkle. And um, my sister wanted some certain things. And one of the things she wanted was like cookies that were decorated. She's having a girl. So um, she wanted cookies that are decorated correctly um, for the occasion. So my wife uh, was looking on Pinterest for all these like cookie ideas or whatever. And then she's like, well, I need to like, I'll just buy them. I don't have time to make them or whatever. So she found something on Pinterest that she liked. And it turned out that the people that make these cookies are like right here in the Omaha area. So my wife contacted them to get a quote for 36 cookies. 
and I believe it was over $150, so it was a little bit over $3 per cookie. Um, that's pretty ridiculous. That's like not too bad. So um, let me do a little math. I know every time that I talk about this, yeah, put the calculator right in the middle of the live feed. So um, I know every time that I do these, I'm like, let's like run the numbers, but um, I think it's important to run the numbers. So you do, okay, so you have three, um, so like let's say your average thing is, what is it, like a baker's dozen is uh, 13. So I think my wife ordered 30, let's just say 36 cookies is what my wife ordered. Times three, that's 108. And it doesn't like take very much to like bake cookies. And then she was like, well, if, would it be cheaper if I like didn't have them decorated? So she asked that and they're like, well, if they're decorated, they're $3 a cookie. If they're not decorated, they're $2 a cookie. <laughs> so like uh, not really that much cheaper. So, um, if you did a thousand cookies a week, that's $3,000 a week, right? That's $3,000 a week or $12,000 a month or $144,000 a year, like making cookies. So like the money's there because like the in, especially if you like bought all of your like supplies in bulk, that's like a major, like a, a major markup. So, I'm, but like, if you think about it, there's like cookies at like every major thing. So like a wedding shower, a wedding sprinkle, um, you could do like weddings, things like that. You could do like company picnics. Um, so, I mean, I think that there's like a lot of, especially like if you made them look really cool, like the decoration is like the big thing, right? Because like sugar cookies, a sugar cookie for the most part. And that's what like most of these places make is like decorated sugar cookies. So it'd really be like how eye-catching the cookies were if you could deliver them on time, not fuck everything up, if everything was uniform. Um, it seems like it would be pretty easy, but um, I think like the more like I think about it, that could be like pretty difficult because you would really, if you were making like a thousand cookies a week, you'd be you would need huge batches, I think, in order to like really make any money doing that. And you would need employees to be able to decorate, to be able to get them like turned out in time. So I don't know. That would be tough. I think that I would need some like further research on that because that seems like really simple on the surface, but then it's like, well, once you like started like making and like decorating a lot of cookies, it could get like really hectic. You need like you wouldn't need like a commercial ovens probably. To, I mean, uh See, there we go again. We're getting getting real close to a restaurant kind of thing. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe as like a side hustle. I think as a side hustle or as a part-time thing, if you can make like a, a couple, if you can make $1,000 a week doing that, I think that that's good. Uh, that's something that you could do like, because my wife was like, well, I could do that and like watch our kid kids. Um, so, uh I think that's good as like a side hustle or as a part-time thing. I think like to have a real business doing that could get like really, you'd have to like rent a space out and stuff. I don't know. I don't really, I don't like that as a full-time thing. So I'm saying yes to a side hustle or a part-time thing, but not a full-time thing. And I, and I don't know, like you, maybe you'd even have to like get a, some certificate from like a health department. I don't know if you could actually make them in your house. I, I don't know. Like I'd have to do, I guess some further research on that. So I don't know. That's a maybe to a maybe to leaning no. The second one that somebody asked me, 
And like, I knew some kids that like did this in college or like high school, which I thought was really stupid. It was a clothing line. And no, no fucking way. That's way too hard. That's way too hard because no one's ever going to, and they like, I think they like knew some, they thought they like the kids that I knew that tried to do this. Like they thought they knew some people who were like quote unquote famous. And it was like a DJ in town who like got a lot of gigs. Uh, A DJ in Omaha, Nebraska, isn't going to help you sell t-shirts. They have no reach. Now, if like Steve Aoki or somebody really famous that was a DJ was like, or like a rapper or somebody like pop culture was like wearing your clothing all the time to where it was like part of their outfit, the people knew, knew them for that, then maybe, but it's like, no, I, the only people that can ever like do anything with a clothing line are people who are already famous. And even then it's like usually not really like huge successes. The people who come to mind who have like a clothing line that made like, or, or big stars are like Ralph Lauren and like Tommy Hilfiger and like Calvin Klein. That's three people. That's three people out of like, God knows how many people tried it. It's too hard to get exposure. It's too hard to like get your cost down because the guys I knew were like screen printing shit. No, dude, that's not like, no. And, and like, we live in, in the Midwest. You're not like, I don't, I, I don't like clothing line. Now, if you have something that you're known for, like a business or like a popular, like podcast or YouTube thing. <coughs> and part of what you do is like you sell you sell shirts. Like, so like I could like start selling shirts, um, on like YouTube or whatever that said, like, as long as you don't fuck it up or as you know, like, cause I always say like, Hey, do you want to buy this business? And people were like, Oh, it's a million dollars. But it's like, yeah, but if you don't fuck it up, it'll make you $500,000 a year for the rest of your life. So if I, you had like a catchphrase or something that you always said, like on TV or whatever, like, yeah, maybe you could sell it then or, or something like that. But just going out and like trying to start a clothing line. I think that's like, that's a real hard uphill climb. I think you have about as much of a chance of doing that as you do of making, making a commercially successful film. So, and I don't think starting a clothing line would be like very fun. You know, that's like, it's going to be all like logistics. So no hate clothing line totally sucks. The last one, um, which is another one that I think is stupid is, um, start a, start a business doing logo design. No, cause I can go to Fiverr and get any fucking logo I want. And it take, it, it's so like the amount of money that I would pay for is like so low. So like I might pay somebody like 30 or 40 bucks for a logo, but it's like nowadays, like you can just design your own logo. It's not very difficult or draw your own logo or whatever. So I don't know. And plus like on Fiverr, if you're like, I want a logo, there's literally like thousands and thousands of people who do logos and like thousands of people who do like graphic design and like a logo is simple graphic design. That's nothing like difficult. So no, I don't think so. If you want to do that as like a side hustle, like let's say you're a graphic designer somewhere and you're like, well, I can make these like cool designs. I can turn them out really fast. Um, then like, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm making some side money doing that, but I don't think you could make like a full-time gig out of that. Uh, You sure couldn't start like a real business doing that. So no. So that's a, that's a making cookies was maybe leaning towards a no clothing lines, a hard no logo design is a, 
Yes is a part-time side gig, but no is a real company. So those are your three critiques for the EP. I know this episode was a little bit all over the board. I went on some rants, but that's what you come here for. So don't hate on your boy. It's been a crazy week. I think we're all a little worn out. Um, but anyway, yeah, that is the EP. I will be, I'm sorry this, uh, earlier this week, I did not release one on time, but I had some things come up. Please forgive me. I'm releasing this one on time. If you guys want to connect with me, you can connect with me on the Facebooks. You can connect me with me on the email. You can connect with me on Instagram. I don't really do that much on Instagram. I don't really like Instagram. Um, I don't know why I don't like it. I just don't. I don't know. It's like that. there's like not enough buttons or something, so I don't know. I'm just bad at it. So connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, uh, email, Instagram, um, and I will catch you guys next week with some fresh ideas. Until that time, uh, well, just I'll see you next time.